Hey everyone, Lauren here with your intro to the ITA Coaches Podcast. In May 2023, Liz LaPlante wrapped up her 44th and final season as the head women's coach of UC San Diego. Some of her career highlights include four NCAA Division III national championships, over 600 total wins in her career, and overseeing the transition of her program from D3 to D2 to D1. In this podcast, Liz and Dave talk about lessons learned over four decades of coaching college tennis, the differences between coaching in the three NCAA divisions, advice for young women interested in becoming a college tennis coach, and how she balanced the demands of coaching and raising a family. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Liz LaPlante, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here and uh, really happy to get to meet you and talk with you. Very good. Yeah, looking forward to spending some time with you. So um, you have had a very unique career. Uh, you were able to stay at the same institution and move from NCA Division Three to Division Two to Division One. I can't imagine many coaches have experienced that. So what adjustments did you need to make as a coach or did you? as the school kind of evolved through the different divisions? Yeah, well, we definitely evolved from pretty much nothing to a lot in the last recent years. But um, until we were division one, which was just four years ago, we were always non-scholarship. So even though we went to division two, we were probably one of the only schools in the country that did not offer athletic scholarships. So going from D3 to D2 was not a huge adjustment other than getting to know all the different schools we had to play, the different coaches, the different formats to qualify for nationals. Um, we had grown very comfortable in Division Three and been very successful there. Um, so that was a big adjustment. Going from D2 to D1, which we just did, this is just our fourth year, obviously a huge adjustment. I was finally given scholarship money. Uh, didn't even know anything about sign, having them sign an NLI. I had never coached a division one, obviously, like some of our coaches have. So it was all very new to me. Um, and, but we, I figured it out. Uh, unfortunately COVID hit and it was a, you know, a tricky time for everybody. Um, but last year we had a pretty normal year and I was able to give out a few scholarships and, uh, we're heading in the right direction. So didn't have to make too many adjustments until most recently, I guess. Yeah. And did you um, see a difference in the type of student athletes you were coaching? I only coached for 12 years. You coached for 44, I believe. So but even in my 12 years, um, you know, I coached at Northwestern University and the University of Oklahoma. And I felt there was definitely a difference between the type of student athlete and, and kind of some of their priorities or viewpoints on the world, etc. Did you see a difference in the type of players you were recruiting between the divisions? Well, I think definitely the caliber went up, you know, hugely, uh, the level of play, the type of players I had to recruit to be successful. Um, you know, if you look at UTRs, we didn't have UTRs for all these years, but, you know, I was probably coaching six and seven UTRs for many, many years. And now, you know, we have to get, you know, nine to 10 UTRs to be successful. So the level of players, also their, probably their commitment to tennis and to the sport, to fitness, having their own coaches, um, that all has changed over the years from racket technology and string technology, you know, huge difference from when I started coaching. 
you know, we were pretty much just out of the wood racket stage when I started. It was so long ago. Um, so everything's changed. Grips have changed. You know, we were all the semi-Western grips and I had to kind of adjust because I didn't have that kind of grow up playing with those grips. And mm -hmm. so my game evolved as I watched my players come in with the different styles of game with a big open stance. Um, so everything changed in that respect for me. And, and how did you stay on top of those changes? Were you doing anything coach education wise or reading or listening to certain coaches? And, and, and especially as the levels went up, did your coaching philosophy change in any way in terms of how you were helping develop those players? Um, you know, I did as much reading as I could. I couldn't tell you anything specific. Um, was reading up on some, you know, had some books to just to try to get different drills to keep the, the motivated uh, to learn about the different strokes. I've watched, I think my main source of education was watching professional tennis on TV. I love watching all the big tournaments, you know, listening to the commentators um, and recent years where they've allowed on-court coaching for some of the women and I'm listening to what they have to say. I think that was my greatest education. Um, rather than reading or even talking to other coaches. But um, I don't think anything about my coaching has really changed that much. Um, I've always been smart enough to get really good male assistant coaches so they could kind of fill in where I couldn't, especially as I got older and I wasn't out there hitting with the girls really anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So that was also helpful in my coaching. Yeah. And then with the three divisions, Liz, is there one that you're partial to uh or is it trying to choose your your favorite child kind of thing <laughs> well yes and no I mean I think your first born your first division we had the most success at division three uh we won you know four national championships and came in second many times and so that's where I got my start and I think where I have the fondest memories is because we had the most success. We had great success in Division Two as well, winning mm -hmm. seven years of straight conference championships, whatever it was. Um, but I, I think Division Three, uh, I always have the fondest memories of that growth in that time frame. Okay. And then, as, as we mentioned, you coached for 44 years, which is just amazing to me. And and you know, you stayed at, at the same institution through all these changes as well, which which is amazing. You've seen all these different generation of players, changes to college athletics uh, through that time. But, you know, in, in today's generation, and I'm probably guilty of this as well, I'll throw myself in there in terms of moving around, always kind of looking for the next opportunity and maybe getting bored in one place or, uh, you know, uh, we get feedback from our younger coaches all the time looking to kind of make that move and when should they make it and stuff like that. But can you talk to some of the benefits of just setting your feet in one place and committing to that for a long period of time? Well, I mean, selfishly, I I had no reason to leave. I born and raised in San Diego. I never have left. I went to college and played tennis at San Diego State, which is, you know, 20 minutes away from UCSD. All my family's here, my sister, my parents, my friends who I play tennis with. So why would, and you're living in San Diego, why would you ever want to leave? Right? Yeah. And so, you know, I completely fell into this job at UCSD. It was not something I ever thought I would do. Um, I mean, I'm more surprised than anybody that ever got the job or even stayed 44 years. But, you know, you just start doing something and you get have success. 
started having my family, had three children. You know, I wasn't looking to get promoted to any other big school. I was set here. And, you know, then I gave some consistency to the program, kind of built a really great reputation for the tennis. Uh, the academics had already had a really great uh, reputation. And so I just, uh, you know, there was no reason to leave. I wasn't looking for anything for more pay. I, my husband had a good job. And, you know, for many years, um, I considered myself a full-time mom and part-time coach in a way, because raising my family was so important to me. And mm -hmm. I could kind of balance it um, with the coaching, especially at D3, when it was a little bit less demanding. I mean, you're still traveling and doing everything, but I was able to do that for many years when my children were young. So uh, it was a great, great career for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so if you do look back on your career now and you're retired a few months, so you've had probably some time to reflect on on uh, the decades that have, have gone by and, and your career and, and um, hopefully you have lots of really great memories, but is there any advice you would give to your younger self? Is there anything that you would tell your younger self to maybe do differently or, or um, you know, uh, do sooner maybe? Uh, not, I, I would just say be ready for an amazing ride. You know, uh, the job is so much fun. I have just loved it. Um, even though it's very stressful um, and can be very time consuming, uh, just be ready for the greatest job. It's so cool being on a college campus. Um, mm -hmm. I've just loved it. And I don't think anyone realizes when you first start coaching, if you haven't coached, you know, how all consuming it is. Uh, we have, as I say, you wear so many hats and there's so much responsibility for this job if you're going to do a good job. And, you know, you have to be a, lead, a good leader and a good mentor and set a great example and create this team culture. And, you know, I've probably uh, earned my PhD in hours in sports psychology, all the, you know, coaching I've had to do. <laughs> individually and on the court. Um, and so, yeah, I think everyone has to understand that there's just a lot more to the job than you can possibly imagine. And I've done, you know, I think during the season, uh, most coaches don't sleep well. You know, I've done my best thinking and speech writing at three o'clock in the morning when I wake up because I can't, you know, I can't sleep. And, you know, whether it's from to sign the lineup or doubles teams, you know, I've caught myself and laughed at myself in the middle of the night in the dark. And I'm, you know, feeling, you know, imagining one of my team members hitting a stroke wrong. I'm trying, how am I going to correct that? You know, it's just like you get so involved in it and you don't get a break. And uh, but it's so much fun. And when it works out and you have the success and it's, it's just all worth the sacrifices that you have to, to make. Yeah, it's all worth the sacrifices because I think, yeah, coaches believe they're making sacrifices and, and sometimes we throw that word around, maybe it's too strong in the world we live in, in the Western world, but there's absolutely tough decisions that you have to make, especially when you're balancing a young family. But um, but yeah, I'm glad to hear as you look back that all those sacrifices were worth it. And then as you look back in your career, are there any anything that really jumps to mind, any memories, any highlights that have really stood out to you and, and will stick with you for the rest of your life? Because when I think back on my college career, it's it, there's so many random things. It's it's not often the things that you think you're going to remember. It's uh, it's often just kind of moments pop into your head and go, yeah. oh, that was yeah. a good time. <laughs> you know, 
too many to remember. I mean, obviously there's been so many amazing matches where it came down to the third set of the last singles match to determine the winner. And those are always so exciting. I remember a few years back where I had this male assistant coach and he was on that match. I think came down to the tiebreaker. And when my, the player won, he came over to me, picked me up and twirled me around. I mean, just in pure joy, you know, <laughs> and exciting moments like that. I think, uh, a really memorable time for me was the year we that we won nationals in 1989 and uh fortunately nationals was just a few hours up the road in claremont two hours away so i i was nine months pregnant and with my second child my daughter and so i said okay well i'll drive my own car up just in case something happens and then i need to come home early so we won nationals on a wednesday and i stuck around thursday and watched some of the individual championship that started Mm -hmm. drove myself home Friday morning I had doctor's appointment at nine o'clock said oh my god you're four centimeters dilated go to the hospital right now and I had my daughter you know a few hours later and my doubles team ended up winning the doubles championship without me they I had left a kind of a semi assistant coach there and you know just the image of me walking around with this huge <laughs> stomach um and then having her a couple of days later and then Mother's Day was that weekend and it was just a really a memorable week for me and my team from that year who I'm still really good friends with you know always talk about that and how amazing it was yeah okay very good and then <laughs> as we talk through the the generations and as you got started in coaching like you said you're not sure why you're even hired in the first place yeah. and I think a lot of coaches um, have those same feelings uh, especially early in their career and maybe some imposter syndrome that they feel as they're trying to figure things out but are there any uh, mentors or, or individuals, whether they're in your life or people that you looked up to or read about, et cetera, that really inspired you on your coaching journey? You know, I think, um, I don't know if you know who Judy Sweet is. Uh, Judy Sweet no. was the athletic director. We should interview her. She's amazing. Okay. Uh, she's the athletic director that actually hired me back in 1979. Um, and she was a pioneer for um, women's athletics uh, with NC2A, she was in, at 27. She was the first woman to be hired at UCSD, and she governed both men and women sports, the first one in the country. And then she was um, voted as the first female president of the NC2A. So she did all this while she was our athletic director at UCSD. Hmm. Uh, she stopped being our athletic director in 2000 when we went to uh, Division Two, but continued being. Um, very involved with the NC2A and, and uh, being heavily involved with Title IX, passing legislation. And um, she ran a very tight ship. Um, you know, we had to follow the rules because she was so involved with the NC2A. She taught all of us as coaches to do things with integrity and made sure that we uh, attended lots of coaches meetings and always had really good goals for our programs. And she was kind of a, a really a businesswoman. And that's why she really ran such a successful program. So I think she instilled in me a lot of things that I normally wouldn't have done. I mean, I was hired at 21 years old. And like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I had really, I had no experience. Obviously I just played college tennis, mm -hmm. um, but uh, she, she saw something and hired me and I'm still, I'm actually still good friends with her. We get together once a year for lunch. I'll be seeing her next Saturday. Uh, play, taught her to play pickleball a little bit over the last couple of years. And she's an amazing woman. Um, yeah. So she, she influenced me a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, um, 
It's great that you had somebody like that again so early in your career to to help guide you along that path. And as we talk about Title IX, um, you know, how do you think being a female coach has changed since you first began in this industry? Well, I mean, I obviously there's a lot more opportunity um, mm-hmm. for f- females to get into coaching. I still don't think enough are going into coaching. I don't know if you know the statistics. I mean, I think it's still in tennis, still mostly male. Yep. Um, and it always, and I don't know why, it just always surprises me that so many females have such a great time playing college tennis. And I know they go off and get these, you know, high-end degrees, but they don't ever consider it as a career. And they pretty much just put their racket in a closet and mm-hmm. are done with their tennis. And you know, the guys, they keep, keep on playing tennis. They never stop. I never stopped playing tennis. I loved it so much. Played, played until, you know, I was nine months pregnant. I was still playing tennis league. And, but the females, these, I just, they just don't see it as a career. And I wish they would, because there's so many of them that could be great coaches. I mean, I have nothing against male coaches, coaching females. My assistant coach, who's a male, just got my job. Thank God. Um, Cause I knew he was right for the job. And, uh, just called me this week and told me he got it. And I was screaming with delight, ended up crying my eyes out because I was so happy for him and so happy for the program. You know, he will get a female assistant, which I think is a good um, balance. But, um, you know, there's opportunities at every level in college tennis, even high school teams or junior college for females to get their foot in the door to see if it's something that they are good at and want to continue doing. You know, like I said, um, I was able to balance my having three small children all boom, 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 back to back. And as long as you have that support, a good husband who can stay home with them and do all the activities on the weekends that you're missing, um, have good daycare, babysitting family. I was so fortunate to have my mom uh, take care of my kids all the all the years when they were little. Um, So it's like any. woman who works full-time and has a family you have to you can balance it you just have to have that support and help Mm -hmm. and I think it's really worth it to you know work outside of the home um I don't regret it at all Mm -hmm. yeah and and uh, have those challenges as as we talk about that I mean the statistics improved a little bit in recent years um, but it's it's slow going and, yeah. and um, definitely at the assistant coach level there seems to be those numbers are increasing on the women's side uh, but still a lot of the female coaches that are assistant coaches then don't have an interest in making that transition to being a head coach and um, at some point they've decided it's just not not what I want to do and either stay in that assistant role which is fine absolutely or move into to some other industry or career. And um, I guess what advice might you have for, for those female coaches who are currently assistants that are trying to make that decision? Do I stay in this industry? Do I become a head coach? Or do I go and do something completely different? Uh, would you have any words of advice for, for, for well, that? Well, I mean, they have, to, they have to love it. They have to be passionate about it. They have to realize what an incredibly rewarding career it is, um, which it is. If you can do a good job, I mean, it's not for everybody. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you know, like I said, you you wear so many hats and you you can only be good at so many of them. You know, there's different skills you can't always do. 
Um, and I don't know if these women are staying as assistant coaches because that's where they want to stay or they're just not given the opportunity to become a head coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, even look at the professional players. How many female professional players have female coaches? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. see any, right? They're right. always all male. <laughs> yep. um, again, which is fine, but I just think um, a female head coach, you know, you could just kind of, there's a different feel to in relating to your players. And uh, I would tell these females to, if they love the job and they love tennis, they've got to go for it and apply for the, the head coaching jobs. And I think more will start getting them. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I know uh, we often have uh, athletic directors or associate athletic directors who are, are looking for lists of, of female coaches, which is great. I mean, they are trying to, even if those, those coaches have not applied, it appears athletic directors, I don't want to speak for all of them. I'm generalizing but they really are trying to add names to their list. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, uh, it's promising, but still a long way to go and much work to be done. But mm-hmm. no, I think that's, that's great advice. You, you got to love it because if you don't, those demands will catch up with you and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it becomes a very challenging position. Um, but yeah, with that, I mean, do you have any advice for female coaches who are struggling or male coaches? Um, I'm, I'm, been vocal on my uh, on this podcast that I really struggled with that balance and and ultimately why I stepped away because I couldn't balance the two when I really doubled down on on the team I didn't feel like I was a very good father or husband and then when I took a step back from the team and was a very good father and husband I wasn't as good a coach and I, I couldn't really strike that balance but do you have any advice after doing it and raising your kids and now a grandkid um how how you manage that you mentioned family but are there any other pieces of advice you might share with coaches struggling with that i think you just kind of have to be yourself you Mm -hmm. can't try to be someone that you're not or try to emulate another coach you have to be yourself um you have to you know create a somehow create this really great atmosphere on your team. I think that's one thing that was so important to me. And one thing that I did so well is not early on, but eventually when I started trying to figure out why I was successful is I just realized I had created this really positive nurturing atmosphere for my team, which obviously every coach wants to try to do. Sometimes it's not a priority. Sometimes, especially in division one, it's all about winning, winning, winning. Uh, but for me, it was all about creating a family for these girls um, and making sure they feel valued and loved and make it fun. I mean, if you make it fun for them, it's going to be fun for you as well. Um, you know, it's serious. It's, you want to keep make it very competitive, um, but you, you, they have to want to be there every day. It's a huge time commitment. And especially at UCSD, academics is so tough. And oftentimes, these my players are coming from some horrible organic chemistry midterm that they just flunked. <laughs> and then they've got to turn that off and come and play tennis. And so you've got to make it enjoyable for them. And th- so they feel comfortable coming to practice where they know they can vent, they can cry if they're struggling, and they're going to feel listened to. And, and you, it's just like creating a family. Um, um, if you can do that, then you're going to have success. There's nothing better for me than hearing back from alumni 
I have alumni now that are turning 60 that I'm friends with. Earlier this year, I go, if you have an alumni turning 60, it's time to retire. <laughs> that was one reason. But um, when I hear back from alumni who, you know, say, oh, playing college tennis for you is one of the best times of my life. Uh, you made me feel like I had a family. And some of their best friends now are still their teammates. You know, mm -hmm. I see on social media where they're getting together, posing for someone's birthday or baby shower or wedding. They come back for alumni day and they're just so happy to see each other. Um, and just knowing that I had some small part in creating those amazing memories and friendships, to me, that was always the most important thing. Some of my best friends now at 65 years old are girls that I play ten college tennis with. And so I know how important that is for me. And so that's what I've always wanted to create for my team. And if you can create that, then it's going to be so much more rewarding for you. And so some of these coaches who are so, oh, I got to win, you know, don't make that your priority. Make developing that team culture the, your priority. And then everything kind of falls into place. Hopefully the winning comes because everyone's out there playing not only for themselves, but for the team. And you see that love between their teammates. You know, you feel the love for the girls on your team. I mean, I have one biological daughter, but I feel I have hundreds of daughters sure. that I've mentored and coached and gotten to, know, gotten to know so well. Uh, I always, you know, cry when they graduate because I know how much I'm going to miss them. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can create all that for yourself, um, I think it makes the job a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, again, great, great advice. Um, Liz, I'm just uh, the next question. Uh, we might have touched upon it in different ways, but are, are there any other keys to your success, uh, your your longevity within the career that that you can share with our coaches and, and um, you know, outside of developing that family atmosphere and that great culture? Are there other aspects to running a really good program? You have to be really organized. Uh, you have to have team rules. Um, I have rules in writing that have evolved over time. I mean, the girls have to know what's expected of them. And if they, you know, if they break rules, they have to know the consequences. Um, so I'm very organized, but I'm not anal about it. I mean, I'm very flexible as well. Um, also, it's really important that you have good captains. Uh, those captains are crucial to continuing and developing that team culture, especially when young girls come on. And you have to be able to delegate certain things to the captains, put them in charge of certain things, and then it feels more like a team. Um, I think that's more of advice I would give as well. Um, mm -hmm. Just being really organized. So because, you know, these girls want structure, right. um, but they but you also can be super flexible, but you know that you're being organized. <laughs> they may not realize it, but, you know, mm -hmm. I have a plan every day for practice. It may not always come out that way, but have a plan and uh, they'll work harder that way. Those two and a half hours that you're out there will go by like that because you kept them busy and organized. Um, always have fun drills. Just, I like keep saying, just make it fun, but competitive. So they may be playing dingles, you know, we all love to play dingles. Yep. And even though that seems like it's so much fun, it's really a great workout and they're learning a lot from it, but they don't really realize it. They're just having fun and, and laughing. I mean, my girls come to the courts early. I was, you know, I'm very much, I'm very anal about them being ready to go. Okay. You have your sunscreen on, you have your visor on, you have your grips taped, you know, grip tape on. So one o'clock comes when we start, everyone's ready to go. So they all get out there at 20 to one or whatever it is, if they can. 
talk, 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 all this fun, laughing, getting everything ready. And then my assistant coach and I walk up, they're quiet. You know, they know, okay, it's time to go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if they're not quiet, I'll just give them a, you know, a stern look <laughs> and they know, okay, coach wants us to start now. So you have to, you know, make sure that they respect you. You have to, and, and obviously you respect them. So it's, it's a back and forth. Um, like any leader is, you know, you have to have that, have that leadership role. Sure. And then with your captains, Liz, did you have a process to select them? And then how did you go about helping them develop as leaders? You know, a lot of girls, they just come in even as freshmen, and you know, okay, that's my future leader. You know, it, it's, you can sort of create a leader, but they kind of have to have it within them. Um, every year, sort of been a little bit different. I let the team in these last few years select the captain. I've had girls say, okay, they've come out to the team and said, okay, I want to be on the ballot, however you want to say it, so that everyone's just not randomly picking a, a captain. So if Three girls have come up, four girls have said, okay, I would like to be chosen as captain. Then the team votes for those. Okay. Seniors don't automatically get to be captains. It usually works out that they are voted as captains. Um, I usually have three captains. If I have two seniors and then one underclassman who's sort of in training <laughs> per se. Um, but I've had a lot of captains who aren't seniors who have done a great job because they just had the respect of the team. You know, we talked a lot. We talk a lot beforehand about what the qualities of their captain should be. It's not just your best friend, but it's someone who you respect, who leads with um, authority, who leads by example. And then those girls usually end up being voted um, in as the captains. And, you know, it's not like they have these this tremendous list of things they have to do, but it's just more of they're the eyes and ears of the team. Mm -hmm. and they know what's going on <laughs> and so I'll meet with the captains maybe once every two weeks or you know make sure that I have open line of communication hey is everything going okay and you know there's things that I don't even want to know about you you handle that you know if there's a little friction girly friction between girls I don't I don't want to deal with it unless it gets to a point where the coach has to get involved so those captains have those crucial role in that respect of just making sure everybody's getting along that they're um, also doing outside activities with the team because I think there's a lot of team bonding that goes outside of the team, whether it's team dinners, going out for frozen yogurt, whatever it is. So they're um, in charge of all that. Plus just getting the team ready for trips. They are responsible for that kind of communication. Um, but you know, your captains are crucial. And some years I haven't had the best of captains because what, for whatever reason, it, you, you can really tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that process. We're going to jump into some random questions here. So what song must be on your warm up playlist? I don't really have a song. <laughs> I love all music. <laughs> I really do. I let the girls, as far as our warm up for the girls, they put their music on that they want. As long as it's clean, whatever they are, whatever genre they want, it's usually not what I would listen to. Uh, but yeah, they have some songs that, okay, you like that song? That's okay. Go ahead and put it on as loud as you want. Because <laughs> I'm, uh, especially when we're driving to away matches and I'm driving, I'll let them put on the music that they like because, you know, that makes them comfortable. So, yeah. Yeah. And then now that you're tired, you might have a little bit more time to catch up on some TV series. Is there anything you're watching right now? The women's soccer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big sports fan so we're always watching the football grew up my dad loved football so we always had you know a couple games going on 
uh, mostly sports. I love watching all the professional tennis tournaments, uh, baseball. We have the Padres here. Um, sadly, they took the Chargers away from us and they've gone to LA, but I still call them my San Diego Chargers. And um, of, uh, of course, I'm watching the soccer right now, unfortunately. You know, our team didn't do great, but uh, still really excited to watch it. Yeah, yeah, good. No, I'm enjoying it as well. And so if we headed to the court right now, would we be playing pickleball or tennis? 100% pickleball. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Don't yeah. say anything else. <laughs> 100%. I've been playing for about eight years. Um, you know, some girlfriends from my from tennis, uh, my college friend kind of started me on it and didn't really get it at first. And uh, it became my life. And all my girlfriends, I just played this morning. That's why I needed to change our meeting to 130. <laughs> um, you know, we all play tennis. I mean, we all play pickleball now. And through all my age, I still play with younger people, but we just have a blast. And I don't know if you've played much yet, but um, you know, we all played very serious tennis for many, many, many years, and we all loved it. And we always say, God, we never had this much fun playing tennis as we do with pickleball. And obviously, we're a different stage in our life, and it, you know, we're playing for a different reason. But um, yeah, it's uh, super fun and challenging and a great workout. And we can still, fortunately, we're all moving still pretty well and keep it really competitive, but also super fun. So, yeah. So college pickleball become an NCAA sport? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, a couple of my girls actually um, were on the pickleball club at UCSD and they were playing a little bit. So after the season, I invited them up to the court that we played at and they came and we played with them and, uh, you know, took them down pretty easily, <laughs> but <laughs> they had, they had the potential. Um, I was fortunate enough to teach Rod Laver to play pickleball but a few years ago, I'm good friends with Rod Laver. I used to play some social doubles with him and I uh, got him on the pickleball court down at La Costa. And, and he, you know, it was so great seeing him play. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't think it should become an Olympic sport or an inclusion sport, but it's just a great social sport. And uh, yeah. And was Rod any good? You know, he was pretty good. <laughs> he, yeah. um, you know, he kind of played like most tennis players play pickleball like they play tennis. You know, we have our strokes look exactly the same and he could still move pretty well. This is probably eight, nine years ago that I taught him. It's uh, been a while. I don't think he's I don't know if he's played since, but um, he lives here in Carlsbad. But yeah, he, he was it was awesome to play with him and had a beer with him afterwards. <laughs> That's a good story. Um, so if you could win any Grand Slam, which one would it be? Oh. Why? Oh, gosh. Uh, I would say Wimbledon only because my mother was from England. Uh, I went to Wimbledon a couple of times growing up and got to sit in the players lounge when I got when it got rained out because a friend of ours was playing in the tournament. And so I have very fond memories of uh, going to Wimbledon. And, and uh, yeah. Okay. The... And what book does everyone need to read? Oh, I don't think I have an answer to that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No problem. We put you put you on the hot seat there. Yeah. Well, Liz, this was great. Thank you for sharing some time with us and spreading some great advice out to uh, the next generation of coaches coming through. So really appreciate it and uh, hope you enjoy every minute of retirement. Thank you.